Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. Hey, welcome. This is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. I am your host, Bill Kelly. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, the headline here is that uh, the Canadian Parliament is back to work today after their their Christmas break, such as it is. And, you know, the party leaders, of course, have all done their thing. One of the sidebar issues, which I think is going to take up an awful lot of the oxygen in Ottawa for the next couple of days, though, is also the beginning of the inquiry into uh, what has been a, a major story in this country for the last little while. And that, of course, is foreign interference in Canadian elections and Canadian politics, for that matter. There are many different uh, elements to that particular story. Well, the inquiry begins today. Uh, as a matter of fact, as we speak here, it got underway about an hour and a half or so ago. Commissioner Marie-José Og is uh, uh, going to be heading this whole thing. Uh, and even before she opened her microphone and, and tapped the gavel, uh, theoretically, uh, the shit was hitting the fan about how this is going to happen and who should be allowed to speak. I want to bring our good friend Phil Gursky into the conversation. Phil, of course, is president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, his former CSIS analyst and author of a number of great books about this subject. Uh, Phil, busy day today up in the nation's capital. Glad you could have some time for us on the podcast today. Well, always a pleasure to talk to you, Bill. Like you said, it, it is, uh, I think, sucking all the oxygen out of the room. I, there's been a lot of uh, what I would call instant analysis already before a, a single witness has been interviewed. But uh, I guess we'll see where this thing takes us. Well, one of the elements that's already been controversial, of course, is who's going to have standing in this. In other words, who is going to be allowed to not just testify, but who's going to have uh, the ability and, and and the permission, basically, uh, to question some of the people that are testifying mm -hmm. and ask questions. Uh, there's a lot of problem about that. Some people, they're, they're pissed off at the people that are going to be allowed to, mm -hmm. and they're pissed off about the ones who can't. But on a, on a much broader basis... Uh, I know you've got some concerns about whether or not this thing should even be happening and 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 the consequences of this. We're dealing here with CSIS, mm -hmm. uh, and CSIS never has and probably never should lay their cards on the table and say, here's what we've been doing, here's what we've been talking about, and here's what we know about these people, these nefarious characters. This is a dangerous road we're going down, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, further to your point, Bill, I, I know for <clears throat> a fact, because I know one of the witnesses that's appearing before the uh, commission, you know, it's a dog's breakfast of actors who put their names for it. Some get chosen, some don't for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to me, and, and, you know, we were joking before we we hit the record button here that it seems like, you know, national inquiries or commissions of inquiry are, is, is our national sport here in Canada. You were hockey a long time ago. To me, the what concerns me and concerns me as a taxpayer is that we're, we're spending money on this commission to resolve an issue which was actually resolvable 20 years ago if the government of the day had only listened to CSIS, so the security service, when it warned about interference uh, by foreign powers such as China in the diaspora, intelligence was, was collected, it was um, analyzed, it was processed, it was corroborated, it was sent up to the government in a nice package and said, here's what our, our security service knows about this. And it was frankly ignored. And not only was it ignored, Bill, but there were MPs at the time who shall remain nameless, who accused the security service of racism for raising the mere possibility that the People's Republic of China, run by the Communist Party of China, by the way, not a Canadian ally, may in fact be, you know, doing things in our soil that's not in our interest. So not only do we, you know, was the intelligence ignored, uh, the security service were blamed for producing it in the first place. 
which is one of the, the, the main elements, I guess, in, the, in this concern about who should actually get standing into this. Uh, and we know some of the stories, of course, uh, because it's all been in the news in the last little while. But some of the people that have received standing in this uh, are, are basically people that are, have been implicated in this. Uh, I mean, you know, are we letting the fox in the hen house here by having some of these people with standing in a situation when maybe it's them that we actually should be investigating? Well, and these pe are people, I'm sure, you know, I can't say definitively because I didn't work the China task at CSIS, as you well know, I was in the mm -hmm. counterterrorism. But I wouldn't be surprised if, in fact, they were subject to CSIS investigation under its legislation, under sections 2A and or 2B of the Acts so of Foreign Espionage and Foreign Interference. You know, you raise an interesting point about the fox and the hen house. And, and I think what would concern me is that, you know, I've talked to Chinese Canadians, uh, Chinese Uyghurs, for example, who have been victimized by the Chinese government up in the Xinjiang province. You know, I've talked about that before on the radio. Yep. If you are somebody who already feels that your life has been made uh, a disaster because of China, you're you're, maybe your family back home has been threatened by things you said or things you've written here in the in the free West as opposed to not free China, how are you going to feel if you're before the commission and you're being cross-examined by somebody who you know and or strongly feel may in fact have ties to the Chinese government and anything you say before the commission may be used against you by the Communist Party and against your family. It's going gonna, it's gonna to put a real fear factor. And at the end of the day, um, you know, if it was my family back home, Bill, that might suffer because something I said here in Canada, I might not be so open and forthcoming with my testimony, and which then would calls into question, why are you having an inquiry in the first place if you're allowing people who may be inimical to our interests to start asking the questions and cross-examining? And for those that may be cynical about that that point, uh, Phil, uh, this is not stuff out of spy novels. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the spy novels that include this stuff, and I love spy novels. I did one of my great reads, and to listen and read some of that stuff. Uh, they're imitating life. It's not life imitating the the, the, the fiction here. Uh, you and, and and your fellow CSIS members, when you were working for that organization, saw firsthand how this was working. Uh, Michael Chong, the MP who does have standing in this, by the way, uh, can give scripture and verse on this. I mean, he was very critical of the Chinese regime with the Uyghurs and, and other situations. And his family, still back over there, was threatened very overtly. And it happens time and time again. We don't hear about it all the time because people are scared shitless to tell people that it's happening. But this is one of the tricks and, and one of the tools that's used by that government. Uh, it's not racist. As a matter of fact, as we found out, and I know that, uh, that we've talked about this on future or on, on past podcasts, uh, oftentimes it's the Chinese citizens, the Canadian Chinese citizens that are saying, please help us. We're being victimized here. You know, yeah. we're not. We don't think this is a racist org the, uh, enterprise that you're doing here. We're the ones that are, are right now scared shitless that if we don't cooperate with the Chinese government, something's going to happen to our families back there. You're absolutely right, and you know, I, I like your point about you know, do spy novels? You know, they represent real life kind of thing. I mean, you know, working intelligence is somewhere between James Bond and Johnny English. I won't say to which end of the spectrum <laughs> it's closer, Bill. But no, you're absolutely right. So when the when the leak was made to the Globe and Mail almost a year ago, I think, about CSIS reports that had been ignored by the government and, you know, Chinese di diaspora groups who were being harassed by the Chinese said, yeah, please uh, do something to help us kind of thing. And, they, and as you said, they said that it's not being racist to call out the Chinese Communist Party and its agents and its influencers here in Canada for doing what they're doing. It, you know, Bill, when I, when I see the types of people that are being invited to, uh, you know, make depositions or whatever to the commission, my my first reaction is, this is so goddamn Canadian. Like, we want to be all inclusive. We want to be all apologetic. We don't want to, you know, turn anybody down. 
despite the fact that the people that we should turn down, who should not have standing, are people who are not our friends and may in fact try to intimidate the witnesses, why in heaven's name would, I mean, it takes away from the seriousness of the inquiry, I think is what I'm trying to say here. You're trying to get to the bottom of how much is China involved in our society? The answer is they're involved greatly. And we and Jesus have been saying this for 20 years. You're doing this in a public way so that Canadians can be informed. And yet you're inviting to the very commission people who will do their utmost to make sure that there are no conclusions drawn or to try to make sure that certain things don't come out by using threatening gestures against certain witnesses. What sane Western democratic country would do that? Only Canada, because we're an apologetic nation and we don't want to be seen as being against anybody or, you know, heaven forbid, Chinese spies feel offended by our Canadian government. And, it, you know, it just goes on and on. And it, this is why I, I don't have a lot of faith in what this commission is going to come up with. And again, you know, we are not talking about this anecdotally. There, Phil, is hard and fast evidence that you've discussed with us in past shows uh, about stuff that's already happened. I mean, we know that agents or at least uh, people working on behalf of, of the Chinese government uh, basically stole secrets from a, from a Winnipeg lab when we were talking about COVID research. We know that they've they've uh, they've moved themselves in and become part of the university uh, campuses right across this country. And they buy their way in, by the way, you know, hey, we'll give you hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for research, but they own the research. And, and you know, damn well, they're sending it right back to, to Beijing as soon as they get this information. That's that's a given. I mean, this is these are facts that are there that we don't even have to dispute. So to suggest that this is a wild goose chase is, is basically a, a ridiculous accusation in situations like this. And it's not just China, as you mentioned. It's mm. Russia. It's Iran. Mm. We, mm. we know the RCMP and CSIS have already told us that all of those countries have had impacts on the past Canadian elections. So, you know, the, 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 the nature of, of what they're doing is already out there. But I guess the question that a lot of folks are going to be looking for here uh, is how deep into this do you go? How deep down that well do you go uh, without compromising? Um, you know, public safety and and yeah. and of course the work that CIS has done. Do, they don't want to open their books up here and say, "Here's everything we want to know" or "Everything you want to know." It's none of their business, really. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. And that's a really good point, Bill. I'll get to that in a second. But before that, I'm going to do something shameless. I'm going to promote my podcast on your podcast. I just I just published today a conversation with an old friend of mine, uh, Margaret McQuay Johnson. She's been a China specialist for many many yep. years, and we talked about the fact that China is stealing us blind. Technology, university campuses, for all the reasons you mentioned, they throw money at things. You know, universities love when international students come by. Why? Because tuition is five to 10 times what a Canadian pays. So, of course, we're making money. And you may have seen the headlines, Bill. Universities are really panicking at the Canadian government scaling back on international students because they're screwed from a financial perspective if that yeah. happens. But yeah, getting back to the question of CSIS. So we had that leak to the Globe and Mail uh, almost a year ago to, you know, Bob Pipe and Stephen Chase published it. It was a CSIS report. The problem when you work in intelligence, and you know, some people might be, might be might criticize you for this, but it is the way it is, is that you, you have information from sensitive sources. And those sources could be humans, what we call human, human intelligence. Uh, it can be SIGINT, signals intelligence. I've worked at CSE for 17 and a half years in foreign intelligence, so I know all about SIGINT. And you can't have those sources disclosed in the public domain. If they are, the sources disappear. Either the human sources get co-opted to work against you, or they get killed. And the signal sources simply disappear. They go to a different means of communicating. 
So CSIS has done what it can openly. And, and you know, you and, and me and every other Canadian has access to the CSIS public report. It's an open document. Yeah. And CSIS summarizes what it's learned about threats to national security as defined under Section 2 of the CSIS Act in pretty broad terms. Now, obviously, they're not saying, you know, Bill Kelly at 123 Main Street in Ancaster or Phil Gursky at 123 Main Street in Russell is doing X, Y, or Z. But they do give a good summary as to what the service investigates, what it's worried about. What, is, what it doesn't get into is, is the nature of those sources, because sources of methods have to be protected. Now, my understanding is that uh, as part of the commission, there'll be an in-camera, which in which CSIS, the RCMP, maybe CSE will weigh in. And my um, res my response to that is, is twofold. For, first of all, yay, which is going to be held in-camera, so you won't find out, and neither all the Canadians, but that's the nature of intelligence. But B, um, this intelligence has been around for 15 years. And we've been CSIS have been telling us this message, telling the government this message for a long time. Why do we need yet another in-camera session for CSIS to tell the government what it's been trying to tell it for a decade and a half? Now, is that not the ultimate waste of taxpayers' money? I mean, you're already paying CSIS to do this, you know. And and you know, the security services it costs probably over a billion dollars a year. Canadian taxpayers are paying to fund CSE and CSIS. They're doing their due diligence and their jobs, and yet we have to have a commission for CSIS to tell the government what it already told the government. Like, does and, this and not I, sound so dumb to you? Yeah, it does. <laughs> but I, again, that goes into the political uh, aspect of this, which I find disgusting and disturbing. Uh, but you know that the opposition parties are going to make up a, a fair bit of this because, you know, it's a minority government. Uh, are going to look for ways to try to embarrass the government on this? And, and by the way, there's some culpability on the government's part. I mean, we do know from uh, from past investigations right now that CSIS did an extensive report about this not too long ago, probably, as you mentioned, a number of them. And sent it to the prime minister's office. Now, the prime minister says he didn't see it. Uh, the former chief of staff now says that it got buried someplace, yada, yada, yada. Blah, blah, but again, blah. it goes to your point that they don't seem to take it seriously. But I think the concern that a lot of us have, and you especially, uh, who served with CSIS and, and still have friends uh, that, that are working in that agency, is is how far down do you go and who do you expose? I mean, we're in this too. I mean, you know, we're talking about them as bad guys. But international espionage is something that goes both ways. I mean, I, I know a lot of Canadians, uh, Phil, were concerned and, and probably surprised by the fact, by the revelation that appeared just a couple of months ago, that in fact, one of the two Michaels was gathering information for a Canadian agency and got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And, and that was, you know, we, we always kind of characterize them as these poor Canadians. They're just business people down there. There's a lot of this shit going on and we're as culpable as the next guy. But if we start exposing this information to politicians, as opposed to people who are experts in the field, are we running the risk of that stuff leaking out of a closed door session and putting some people in peril? We are. So if you remember, Bill, a slightly different case, but very related to what you just said, when the allegations were that India was behind the assassination of a Sikh activist in July of last year, I believe in Surrey, the prime minister went public and said, we have you know secret intelligence that suggests X, Y, or Z. So first of all, uh, he can't do that under the Security of Information Act. You can't you can't say that publicly now, because he's a prime minister. He can't. I don't know. I would have thought that all Canadians have to follow the same rules. Apparently not. And as a consequence, Canada expelled the Indian intelligence um, head of the intelligence head of the Indian intelligence station here in in Ottawa. Now we have relations with Indian intelligence, like we have relations with Pakistani intelligence and all kinds of mm -hmm. intelligence services. Uh, CSIS has, under its mandate, has the ability to do that as long as it gets approval from the Global Affairs Minister, Public Safety Minister. But you know, it just becomes tit for tat, and you hear it all the time, Bill. You know, the U.S. will expel ten Russian diplomats for activities inconsistent with their diplomatic function. So what does Moscow do? 
it expels 10 U.S. diplomats in, in retribution. And when we expel the, the officer, it's called RAW, it's called the Research and Analysis Wing, it's basically their internal service. Um, they expelled the CSIS officer from, from India at the same time. So yes, um, I mean, expelling diplomats, that's one thing. And that's, you know, it happens all the time, right? But if you're right, if, if we have agents running around the world, collecting information to help keep us safe, and for some reason these people are found out, they won't simply be expelled because they won't have diplomatic immunity in, in, in all cases. They may, in fact, be imprisoned, as happened to the two Michaels. They could be mistreated. They could be tortured. They can be executed under, under, under local laws. And that's what you don't want to happen. And, you know, and for your listeners' benefit, CSIS does run operations abroad. It, it is not precluded from doing so. Nowhere in the CSIS Act does it say that CSIS can't run operations outside of Canada if they're national security, security intelligence in nature. So, yeah, I am worried that information will leak out and people's lives could be at stake because, you know, one, you know, human sources are very, very delicate things, Bill. And this is why we, we go to the nth degree to keep their identity secret, because if the bad guys find out, as I mentioned earlier, there's several possibilities. One, they get pressured to turn against us and, and collect intelligence and, and maybe send us false information. Uh, or B, they get picked up, tortured, and get killed. And this is what we want to try to prevent at all costs. When we get down to it, and this gets all boiled down, and, and we've talked about, well, this inquiry, certainly. You know, we talked about the Ottawa Insurrection Inquiry and, and you know, the, the results of some, of some of that stuff. And, and that's still festering, of course. It really comes down to a political decision, though, doesn't it, Phil? I mean, CSIS is, is, is there legitimately as, as an agency that's that's trying to be, you know, uh, helpful to the Canadian people uh, to try to, to protect us from these sorts of things. But they're only as good as the, as the funding that they get and, and, and the, the staffing that they're allowed to have uh, to be able to do the work that they do. And it, it behooves any government, whether it's a federal government uh, of liberals or conservatives, whatever the case might be, to simply downplay the threat because ergo they can downplay the and 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 justify the, the fact that they're underfunding agencies like yeah. this so there's a there's a political game that's going on here right now uh that i'm sure is going to get exposed again in this inquiry but i guess the the end question here is well what's, what's the government going to do about it are they finally going to fess up and say yeah this is a serious threat and we better take it seriously because they haven't in the past well you'll get sound bites bill that you know the um We've cast the smoke from our eyes. We now understand it. it's all bullshit. It's typical politics. It's funny, you know, you mentioned funding, and I just had a conversation with Chris Lewis, who's a former OPP commissioner, yeah, yeah. and he just wrote a piece on funding. You know, I, I don't know if you know how much uh, money they're burning through in Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa to deal with these demonstrations, pro-Gaza demonstrations right now, right? It's, it's eating up all their budgets. But further to your point about governments, um, look, at CSIS is an advisory body. It does its investigations under its mandate. It collects intelligence. It wraps it up. It sends it to government. And the reason it does that is to help government be informed so they can make better decisions and, and better policies. CSIS doesn't tell the government what to do. It says, here's what we've learned about this, whether it's terrorism or espionage or foreign interference. We think you might want to know this. You might want to take it into consideration. And CSIS and, and myself, we're under no illusions that our information is the only information in the room. And you know that as well as I do, Bill. Mm -hmm. There's lots of consideration out there. Like to, to take China as a small example, we've got a huge economic relationship with China, a our, our, our huge trade relationship, and that has to be borne in mind when you make decisions on what to do about China. What bothers me, though, and this, you know, you, you alluded to this earlier, the prime minister was saying he hadn't seen the intelligence. To my first question is, why in God's name did he not see the intelligence? Because it was sent to him, which suggests to me that someone stopped him from seeing it, either because they didn't like it, um, the message was inconvenient, they don't trust intelligence. I mean, there, there are CSIS haters out there, Bill, and I've met them sure. you know, throughout my life. 
you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna trust a bunch of spooks. Uh, I mean, we politicians know better. We senior civil, civil servants know better. But if you've got an intelligence service that's doing as best job it can to provide information to the government so that it can be useful, and the government simply ignores it, you can imagine what does that mean for CSIS? Like, wh wh why do I bother doing what I'm doing? And when you've got a former public safety minister in Bill Blair, former chief of Toronto Police, who you would think would have a better understanding of the nature of intelligence, because police collect intelligence as well, saying that he couldn't be bothered to read his inbox to see what CSIS was saying, I, I throw up my hands and I say, like, I mean, Who's running this zoo? I mean, how incompetent can you get? Again, intelligence is not the only consideration, but it's there for a reason. And it, it, all we want is for you to say, okay, I've read this. I understand. If I have questions, I'll ask you. If I want need further advice, I'll ask you. Now I'll go off and make my decision. But if it's not even, if, if you can't even open your inbox, Bill, for Christ's sake, to look at the intelligence, then it, it begs the question as to why it's produced in the first place. But again, that goes back to political mindset, doesn't it? I mean, and yeah. it's not just Canadian politicians. Uh, we've seen it happen with the U.S. government and some of the yeah. research that have been done by some great reporters down south of the border, too, uh, where politicians want to be stupid. They want to be left in the dark because it's their defense. When yeah. things go sideways and all of a sudden, oh, okay, who knew about 9-11? Well, you did. Yeah. Yeah, but nobody read the damn report. The information was 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 gathered. It was presented, and people chose to ignore it. And it's it's what it is is well to use the legal phrase plausible deniability. Yeah. The politician can say, "Well, we were not aware that the threat was that extensive and and that immediate." Yeah, you were if you read your report, but a lot of them don't want to see that information, and and that's that's a problem. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, basically it's a shirking of responsibility. And, and the most recent case, Bill, as you're probably aware, you know, after the October 7th attack by Hamas in southern Israel, um, intelligence failure by Shin Bet, which is the CISA's equivalent in in, uh, in in Israel, or Mossad, which is their foreign service. Uh, no, they actually had the intelligence and they got passed up the line. It was ignored because there are people in the Israeli cabinet, in the prime minister's office, whatever, who said, we don't want to believe this. We think Hamas is no longer a, a threat to us. Uh, we want to keep supporting settlements in the West Bank, blah, blah, blah. And yet, you know, Shin Bet did its job. It's, you know, it had intelligence officers. It had human sources in Gaza. It was providing information on what Hamas was planning. They knew Hamas was planning something because they saw them. And they sent those reports up. And those reports were ignored or set aside. So, yeah, it, it is a matter of a politician saying, well, what do you blame me? Why are you pointing a finger at me? I didn't see the information or no one told me kind of thing. So, yeah, plausible deniability. But at the end of the day... You would think, maybe I'm showing my naivete here, you would think that politicians and senior officials would want to be as, as best informed as possible on any nature of issue before they make decisions. And if you're ignoring your intelligence on national security, perhaps you can inform me, what are you listening to to make your decision on national security? Are you listening to self-styled national security experts who haven't worked in the field? Or are you just doing things? And we all know that diaspora politics is big, Bill, Right. Why is it the government, you know, is mm -hmm. very careful about calling things Sikh terrorism? Because there's certain writings in Canada that are largely Sikh dominated and, and the parties won't get the vote. Same thing with the whole situation in Gaza. We have communities that are, you know, maybe largely Muslim or largely Arab, and they're afraid of losing support in those writings if they come down too hard on Hamas. So a lot, it does boil down to politics. And it may be, that's, that's what politics is all about. But, you know, when it comes to national security, um, and I, again, I'm speaking as a former practitioner, in my mind, officials need to at least acknowledge the intelligence is there. If they make a decision counter to it, that's their business. That's what they're paid for. But they can't use the excuse, I never saw the intelligence in the first place. 
And, and I know I, I don't want to be accused of being paranoid here, but I think we have to be realistic about how that information is received and, and what governments who ultimately make their decisions, not just about funding, but about actions taken, uh, are going to react to this. I mean, I, I read a book a couple of years ago that there's a very strong body of evidence that indicates that members of U.S. intelligence and the U.S. government knew about the attack on Pearl Harbor before it happened mm-hmm. uh, and, and didn't say anything about it. Uh, and and the part of the politics was they wanted to be a, able to justify their entry into World War II. Well, what better way than to have an attack against U.S. citizens? How many lives were lost because of that? Uh, and that's a political decision. It's it's scary and and frightening. And you think, my God, that can't happen in our democracy. Well, it does. Yeah. And and I don't know. I'm I'm not suggesting that's what's going on here, but they can't be that stupid in Ottawa. I mean, you know, to, to simply say we're going to ignore the evidence. Don't go that far, Bill. I'm not <laughs> sure you can actually say that. Uh, but but how many lives are going to be lost yeah. uh, when, when information like that comes along? And, and how often do we hear the political response to this was, well, we didn't think the threat was that imminent. And that was Netanyahu's reason yeah. uh, for the attack, of yeah. course, on in October the 7th. They didn't think it was a plausible threat. Yeah, that information was there, and somebody in, in Netanyahu's uh, administration read that. But they thought, oh, that's that's only just a, a conceptual plan. Well, no, it wasn't. But, but you know, they, they, they can be dismissive of it because uh, they wanted to be, because it didn't suit them politically to do this. And, yeah. and it's frightening that that seems to be a major factor in how some political decisions are made. It's not based on the information. It's based on the political consequences of what they might or might not do. I think so. And again, no one in intelligence is claiming that they're perfect. We make mistakes just as all sure. the humans do. But, you know, when I went to work, Bill, I went to work with one one goal, one goal in mind only. To, to produce the best product possible for governments to read and, and understand so they could use it. I w- I don't give a rat's ass who's in power, liberal, NDP, conservative, green. I don't, I, people's party, I don't care. I want to make sure that, that the information I'm providing is as corroborated and as accurate as possible. It's as concise as possible. It's written like a two-year-old can understand it so that they can at least consume it and that it can be used. You know, does it mean that there are people that that don't have political agendas? Of course, I mean most people have a political agenda. And your story about Pearl Harbor may, in fact, be be, be right. They, they, you know, they they kind of sat on it because they wanted to force the U.S. to enter World War II. But you know, a, a real a, a, tell, a person who really sees intelligence as a profession, and, and I would even use the term vocation. It sounds kind of religious, but it, I think you know what I mean here. Um, you just want to do the best job you can and make sure that the people that are making really tough decisions have all the information at, at their hands to make the best decision. That's why you go to work in the morning, and when you see your information being ignored, it, it really kind of kind of a kick in the in the, in the, in the you know where is that people say, well, we don't care what you say, we don't care what you write because it's inconvenient for us. And and that may be the point. And just to bring it back home here as we wrap up this uh, this podcast, uh, we want to have faith in our elected officials. And again, I don't care what the political affiliation is, that they're going to take this information, take it seriously, uh, and not simply dismiss of it and say, well, that's that stuff of, of as you say, James Bond novels or you know, of these sorts of things. Because uh, 2024, the world is a much more dangerous place than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, because of the Cold War, but because of what's going on right now. And we just need to look at the dynamic that's happening right now. And and as so many experts have told us over the last little while, Phil, uh, you know, the next wars, and there's an argument to be made that maybe that war is going on right now, is not going to be fought on the battlefield. It's going to be fought in cyberspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's happening right now. And when we have evidence of it, like seems to be the case here in Canada right now, it, it's not just a suggestion that the government works on it. I think it's a responsibility that they address it. 
You're absolutely right. And, and you know, very quickly, Bill, I mean, the national security threat landscape is really changing rapidly. So you and I both remember the Cold War. That was the dominant theme for our youth, right? And that's when I started working in intelligence eons ago. It was all Cold War all the time. And then, of course, we won the Cold War. And although, did we, with Putin's Russia having, you know, yeah. war. The threat landscape now is it's 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 on multiple levels because terrorism is still an issue, big time, and we saw that in Gaza. We're seeing it with attacks in Western Europe. An ISIS attack just took place in Istanbul, Turkey, two days ago. A, a, pre, a person was killed in the Catholic Church. Three Americans died in a drone strike in Iraq, probably fired by Iranian-backed militias. We've got the the we've got the um, espionage threat. We've got the foreign interference threat. We've got the cyber threat. And my worry is twofold. One is that. Our security services are not being resourced and funded enough to deal with it because this stuff takes time and it takes money and, and it takes people. Secondly, if you don't have an intelligence culture in Canada, are you really prepared to understand the uh, enormity of these threats if you don't even bother to read the intelligence that your security services? And it's not just their analysis. We got an analysis from our allies as well, the five sure. eyes and beyond. If you're not taking the time to read it, are you in a position to deal with these threats? And my, my fear is, and I'm not a negative kind of person, but my fear is if you've got a bunch of people who don't understand the nature of what we're faced with, and uh, maybe they just want to go blandly through, you know, life is great kind mm -hmm. of thing. But the world is becoming a dangerous place on, on for various reasons, as you, as you mentioned. And when those nefarious agencies see weaknesses, they tend to exploit it. We have to be very aware of that as well. Uh, check out Phil's podcast, by the way, I, as, as I do all the time. There's always some great information and insight into this. Uh, take care of yourself, my friend, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Bill. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Bill Gursky, of course, uh, and of course, uh, former CSIS analyst. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us on this program. You can find us and spread the word. Of course, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. Bill Kelly Podcast brought to you by Wizens Law, personal injury lawyers. Listen, you didn't choose to get injured, but you can choose the right lawyer. Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 or wizenslaw.com.